Amen. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and open with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. David, turn me down just a little bit. I'm going to yell in a minute and I don't want it to be too loud. There we go. That's, that's, we're getting there. There we go. That sounds good right there. So Daniel chapter 4, we're going to pick up this morning where we left off. And this morning, we're going to see that the pride of man is no match for the power of God. Let me say that again. The pride of man is no match for the power of God. Now, scripture is full of warnings concerning the pride of man. Pride is what led to the fall of mankind. Pride is what led to the fall of Satan and his demons. Fire, fall, excuse me, pride is what led to the fall of the Tower of Babel and many other difficulties that we see in Scripture. And if we're honest, pride is also what has led to our own personal fall from time to time in life. Amen? Pride is easy for us to fall into. Pride is something that comes natural to us, even for those of us that struggle with low self-esteem or low self-confidence. Pride is still something that we struggle with and something we find of great difficulty. And so pride is a really, really big deal. And oftentimes in those moments that we are struggling with pride, God will intervene in His grace to show us our pride so that we don't have to fall. And what we're going to see this morning is that we would do well to heed the warnings that God is offering us concerning pride so that God does not have to humble us. However, oftentimes God will humble us in our lives and when He does, it is always an act of His grace and it is always for our good. It does not feel good, amen? Does not feel good. I'm sure we could tell stories of how our pride was elevated and God humiliated us and humbled us. Those stories are oftentimes funny for others, but they don't feel good when they happen to us, right? I'm thinking of embarrassing moments that have happened to me throughout my lifetime. They're funny to you, but they weren't funny to me at the time, amen? And so... Pride is a big deal. And so in the text this morning, we're going to see four recommendations for overcoming the pride of man. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read this just a little bit at a time because we're going to make our way through the entire chapter. And so we're going to be reading a lot as we have been throughout the book of Daniel. But we're going to begin by just reading the first three verses as we sort of set the stage for what's taking place in chapter four. So chapter four, verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations and languages. Languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Let's pray. Lord, we again thank you for allowing us to come together this morning to worship you through song, to worship you through giving of our tithes and our offerings, and Lord, to now worship you through your word. I pray that we would listen attently to what your spirit has to say to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to wreak havoc in our lives. Lord, I pray that this would be in and of itself a warning to all of us concerning our pride. Lord, I'm sure that many here are struggling with pride even 
even this morning, Lord, help this to be a warning to us that we would not fall into the trap of pride. I pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning and at the end of this day that you would be glorified in us and through us. So, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender this sermon to you and we ask, Lord, that your will be done in us and through us. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the text again, we're going to see four recommendations for overcoming the pride of man. Number one, remember that God has blessed us with all things. Remember that God has blessed us with all things. Now, as we begin chapter 4, it appears as if things are going well. The reality is chapter 4 takes place probably some 30 years after chapter 3 and the fiery furnace. And so this is... 30 years later, as Nebuchadnezzar, likely towards the end of his life and reign, is looking back over how the God of Israel, the God of Daniel, had moved in his life and had revealed himself to this pagan Babylonian king. Now what we're not sure of is when exactly Nebuchadnezzar wrote the first three verses of this chapter. Did he write these before the events that we're going to see transpire in chapter 4? Or does he write this entire chapter after the fact reflecting on what is going to take place in either case in the first three verses Nebuchadnezzar is right where we want him to be it appears that he has learned his lesson and he is now aware that the God of Israel is the one true God He is now aware that the God of Daniel, the God of Israel, is the one true God that is above all other gods and that all other gods are not gods but God is God amen It even appears that he has finally come to his senses and he realizes that he is only on the throne because God has allowed him to be on the throne. It's as if Nebuchadnezzar has finally woken up to reality and realizes, I am nobody, God is gracious towards me. And so we look at the beginning of these first three verses and we think, finally, Nebuchadnezzar has made it. He has learned a valuable, valuable lesson. Now again... What we don't know is when this exactly was written. But notice what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 3. He says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. In other words, his sovereignty is over all things and it endures from generation to generation. Now, if Nebuchadnezzar writes this before the events that we're going to see transpire in verse 4 then Nebuchadnezzar is the perfect example of what Peter warns us about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The interesting thing about that verse is the context of that verse is Peter warning us to be humble because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Peter says in verse 8, watch out because the devil is out to get you. And I don't know about you, but I have oftentimes fallen victim to the trap of pride and to the schemes of the devil because my pride and my arrogance have gotten the best of me. And all of a sudden, when I think I've arrived, when I think I've got everything under control, I am quickly reminded that I don't have anything under control. Uh, Some of our young people that can remember back when you were in youth, I don't know if some of our older folks, if you can remember back that far or not, but I'm kidding. We're just laughing. We're having fun together. Amen. Some of y'all got offended. That was good, but I got something out of you. That's good stuff. 
How many of you can remember going to like a youth camp or maybe a vacation Bible school or like a weekend retreat or something and, and you met Jesus? I mean, God did a work in your life and you came back on fire, pumped up and ready to go and you were on a spiritual high in that moment, right? And then how many of you remember the next day when you fell? Because I don't know about you, but that's what happened to me so often. As a matter of fact, when we go to youth camps, I warn the youth of that. When you get home, you are up here. You are on a spiritual high. And if you are not careful, you will stop being sober. You will stop being vigilant. You will stop being watchful. And the devil will have you right where he wants. And you will fall if you're not careful. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does is he plays the perfect example of someone who was high, spiritually high. He was right where he needs to be spiritually, but yet he was not watching his pride and he falls. Or, again, Nebuchadnezzar might be writing this on the other end of the events, and in which case Nebuchadnezzar is warning us, don't fall to pride. And what Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges in these first three verses that we must always remember is this. Everything good that we possess is a gift from God and it is not our own doing. All right, now let's pause there for a minute. For a minute. I can't speak today, but that's okay. We're going to get through this anyway. All right, that goes against our culture in a huge way. Because we still live in a culture that tells you that if you work hard, if you try hard, if you set your mind on things, you can accomplish whatever you set out to accomplish. If you'll notice that, that's a lot of you, you, and you. That's a lot of you depending upon your work, your ability, your desire, your stuff, your dream, and you, 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 you. And I'm just here to tell you, when we depend that much upon us, upon me, and upon I, it is destined to fail. Right? I don't have anything good that did not come from God. I have not worked hard and achieved anything that was not done by God's grace in my life. Amen? Now, does that mean we shouldn't work hard? No. Listen, we should be good stewards of all that God has given us, which means that we ought to work hard. But even when we work hard and we think we've accomplished something, we need to remember that it was God's grace that allowed it, not us. Not us. Now, if you want to look at what I've accomplished on my own, take a deep, hard look. And everything bad in my life, every failure in my life, that's all me. Right? All the difficulties, that's me. All the struggles, that's me. All the bad stuff, that's what I've done. Because the scripture makes it clear, we are filthy rags. Our best efforts, the best we can accomplish is nothing but filthy rags. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar is reminding us of what we need to always remember. Remember that God has blessed us with all things. These are not things that I have achieved or you have achieved. It is the grace and the gift of God. And so first of all, we need to remember that God has blessed us with all things. And then secondly, we need to heed the warnings that come from God concerning pride. Now listen, verse 4, notice that it is written in first person as Nebuchadnezzar recalls these events and likely Daniel is recording them. Now before we jump in, let's just remember that scripture is filled with warnings against pride. Here's just a few. Proverbs eighteen twelve: before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. First Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another for God opposes 
opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, we could go on and on and on, but what is clear is that God has already warned us against the dangers of pride in His Word. But oftentimes, God goes beyond His Word and He warns us in a personal way concerning the dangers of pride. This sermon, for some of us, is going to serve as a warning against the dangers of pride. And notice that that's exactly what God does in verse 4. He sends Nebuchadnezzar a personal warning. Your pride has gotten out of hand. You're going to be humbled one way or the other. And so... In verse 4, we begin to see the rest of the story unfold. And so we find Nebuchadnezzar in verse 4. Notice, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and I was prospering in my palace. And so what happens is in in verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, I was at ease in my palace. I was enjoying the riches that I had acquired. I was enjoying my power and my sovereignty. And I was putting it on cruise control. I was proud of myself. I was enjoying myself. I had arrived and everything was going great and Nebuchadnezzar was taking all the credit for it right he was enjoying all that he had created all that he had done he was denying God in his life and he was enjoying all that he felt like he had acquired and he was exactly where God does not want us to be he had it all and he was getting more day by day and listen if anyone in history could have ever depended upon theirself it probably was Nebuchadnezzar Right? He, he was an incredibly powerful and important man. He was the most important man on earth at the time. Right? He, he had way more than any of us will ever have combined. <laughs> right? He had it all under control, at least he felt. However, what we will see is the pride of man is no match for the power of God. Because in verse 5, God begins to intervene. Look with me now in verses 5 and following. Nebuchadnezzar says, I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me and they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Verse 7, then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, they all came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. And I saw in the visions of my head and I lay in the bed and behold a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven and he proclaimed aloud and said thus chop down the tree. Lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of the root in the earth. 
bound with a band of iron and bronze. Amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence of the decree of the watchers, the decisions by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. And he sets it over the lowest of men. Then this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. I know that was a lot of reading, and so let's make sure we kind of get it all and, and are all on the same page. So Nebuchadnezzar has what is his second dream in this book. Nebuchadnezzar dreams a dream that terrified him, that alarmed him, that kept him up again at night. And this time the dream was of a large tree that grew in the midst of the earth. It was a tree that grew wide and strong and powerful, and it eventually grew to the point that it reached the heavens. Kind of reminds us of the Tower of Babel, right? It reached up to the heavens. And it was a tree that was so powerful, so strong, that everything on earth was fed by the tree. The animals found shade under it. The birds nested inside of it. Its fruit was given to all who needed it. And all flesh was fed from this tree. And Nebuchadnezzar says, As I saw the tree and its beauty and its splendor, and it was raining over all the earth, then all of a sudden a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven and pronounced a judgment on the tree. And the watcher said that it was time to cut down the tree, not just cut down the tree, but strip off its branches, strip it down even from its leaves, scatter all of its fruit, and let all those who were taking refuge in the tree flee for their own safety. And then once the tree is down and the stump and the roots are left, bind the stump with a band of bronze and a band of iron, likely to protect the tree from completely dying. And let the tree then experience what it's like to have the dew of the earth cover it morning after morning. Notice in verse 15, the imagery switches from a tree to a man when it says that he will have his mind changed from that of a man to that of a beast and he will eat grass like an ox and he will live out for a period of seven watches or seven years. He will live out his life like an animal. This is actually a, 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 a mental illness called a lycanthropy, lycanthropy. I butchered that. I practiced that and still butchered it. But anyway, it's a mental illness that actually causes a person to think that they are an animal and therefore they live out life like an animal. And that is exactly what is going to happen to this tree in the vision. Now in verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to interpret the dream because he knows that Daniel alone is able to interpret the dream. For some reason, he had asked his magicians and wise men to do it, but they again proved useless to him. And so in verse 19, Daniel begins to interpret the dream. So look with me at the interpretation. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. But the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and fruit abundant. 
And in which the food uh, for all, under the which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation. O king, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you. From that time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel begins to give the interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and he tells Nebuchadnezzar what most likely Nebuchadnezzar already feared. This dream is about you. You're the great tree that is reigning sovereign over all the earth. And your pride has gotten the best of you. Therefore, God's judgment is about to come. And the tree that represents you is about to be knocked down. It's about to be stripped of all of its glory, all of its power, all of its prominence. And you will be laid to ruin. However, God is going to spare not only your life, but God is going to spare your kingdom. But for a period of seven years, you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, are going to live like an animal. And you are going to live out eating grass from the fields. You will wake up with dew all over you every morning and you will be none the wiser because God is going to take away your mind. And as Nebuchadnezzar hears this, as Daniel interprets this, it becomes very, very clear that Nebuchadnezzar is being warned by God concerning his pride. In other words, what Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn is that God is sovereign over all things, including the kingdoms of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, it says that you will be like this until you realize that heaven rules. In other words, God is going to do this for your good, but he's going to do this until you get the point that you are not in control. And what we need to hear this morning is the very same warning concerning pride. We are not in control. We do not have life figured out. We don't have it all together. You may be in a good spot at the moment, but in the blink of an eye, God can take it away. And if we start depending upon ourselves and what we have instead of the God that we serve, then I believe God will take it away for our good. 
And so what we hear is God warning Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, it is time for you to stop. I also want you to notice as well Daniel's heart towards the king because what he says in verse 19 is he says this, I'm praying that this is not for you, but that this is for your enemies, even though Daniel knew that it was for him. Then in verse 27, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, before it's too late, repent, repent. It is so incredibly clear from Scripture, we serve a gracious God. Amen? And if we will repent, He will forgive. And oftentimes when He forgives, He relents from the disaster that He spoke out against us. Think of, think of Jonah heading to Nineveh, right? God relented of the disaster that He was supposed to bring against the Ninevites. Why? Because they repented. Daniel says, King Nebuchadnezzar, before it's too late, repent. So the question becomes, why is God warning Nebuchadnezzar of the dangers of pride? Why is he warning us and why does God hate pride so much? Why is pride such a problem? Why is pride, of all sins, why is pride so difficult? And this is the reason. It is pride that leads us to believe that we do not need God. And when pride is left unchecked, then not only will we stop thinking we need God, but in our own twisted way, we will start thinking that we are God and we will start acting like God. You say, there's, there's no way. No, I mean, no, we, surely we wouldn't ever be that foolish. Well, let me remind you, that's exactly what led to the fall of man. That's exactly what led to the fall of the devil and his demons. And that's exactly what leads us to know the truth of Scripture, to know what God is leading us to do, but to knowingly still reject God and do what we want anyway. You say, well, that's just, that should be inhuman. No, that's a human trying to act like they're in control. That's a human trying to act like they know more than God. That's a human trying to be God. And any time we knowingly reject the truth of God's word or any time we knowingly walk away from God's plan in our lives, we are saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I do. And when we do that, we try to usurp the authority of God. You say, well, I've done that a lot in my life. I know. So have I. It's foolish, isn't it? It's crazy. When you say it out loud, it doesn't make any sense. But yet we do it over and over. And Scripture is full of examples of people who do it over and over and over. And sometimes what we need is we need someone to come alongside of us and say, It is you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. It's you, King David. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. And it's time to wake up and understand how dangerous pride can be. Remember, God has blessed us with all things. Let's heed the warnings that come from God concerning pride. And then thirdly, if we get to this point, let's receive the discipline of the Lord, understanding that it is for our good. Let me say that again. Let's receive the discipline of the Lord, understanding that it is for our good. Listen. Things don't change much from the time that we're a child until the time that we're an adult. Nobody likes discipline. 
Nobody likes being told you can't do something. Nobody likes being told to do something. And nobody likes having their hands slapped. Right? We don't like it. We don't like getting disciplined. I didn't like getting spanked as a kid. And I don't like it when God disciplines me now. And what I'm trying to learn is that the reason that I got spanked as a kid was because my parents loved me and they were trying to do right by me. And the reason God disciplines me now is because God loves me and God is doing right by me. Right? Notice I said my parents were trying to because they weren't perfect. Most of the time they had it right. But God isn't trying. God is doing right by me all the time. Amen? And so we have to receive the discipline of the Lord. Well, notice what takes place as we pick up then in verse 28. Here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know. Verses 28 and 29. How long did Nebuchadnezzar have a change of heart and heed the warning of Daniel's words? Notice what it says. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So here's what I'm wondering. How much time did Nebuchadnezzar spend in repentance between verse 27 and verse 28? You know, you know how you sometimes make a commitment to the Lord? Like, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going I'm to read through the Bible in a year. All right, well, here we are, you know, early November. You probably made that commitment around about January 1st. How'd you do? Right? I know you got stuck in numbers. I know. It's hard. Leviticus, whoo, it bit you. I get it. Right? Or, or you, you make this commitment. I, I, I just, I kind of imagine Nebuchadnezzar saying, God, I will change. I will repent. I'm going to do what Daniel said. I'm practicing righteousness. I'm going to stop oppressing the poor. And I wonder how long it lasted before he completely forgot about God again. I don't know how long it lasted, but I know 12 months later, according to God's word, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace. And the king said in verse 30, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was looking out over all that he possessed and he was saying, am I not awesome? Look at this city. This city is incredible. Now, historically, he's right. Babylon was one of the greatest cities ever in the history of the world. Most certainly the greatest city of the day when Nebuchadnezzar says these words. So much so, by the way, that 200 years later, when Alexander the Great comes and overtakes the area of Babylon, he seeks to make Babylon his headquarters. Because of all that that Alexander the Great possessed, Babylon was still the best 200 years later. If you read the description of Babylon in other sources, Babylon was incredible. One of the seventh wonders of the world, according to the Greeks back then. Babylon, the city itself, was unbelievable. It had hanging gardens that mimicked a mountain. It would have been incredible. Not a city on earth today that would probably compare to the beauty and splendor of Babylon back then. And so Nebuchadnezzar is just up in his palace. And he's looking over all that he has built. And he says, look at all that I have achieved. Look at all that displays my glory and my majesty. And it says that as those words were still on his lips, a voice from heaven broke out against him. In verse 31, it says, While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, 
And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And it shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. It's hard to even comprehend what took place in Nebuchadnezzar's life in this moment. In an instant, he was the most powerful man on earth. And in the very next instant, he was no longer even a man. Get that. For the man that thought he stood above all mankind... God turns him into less than human as in his mind he begins to think and live like an animal. To the point that in seven years his hair grew and matted down and looked like eagle's feathers and his nails and toenails grew to the point that they looked like claws. And in an instance, God's judgment, God's discipline had fallen on Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Notice what it says. So that he might know the most high rules the kingdom of men in verse 32. God was not doing this to be mean. God was not doing this to get even. God was doing this for Nebuchadnezzar's good. God was trying to reveal to the king that God alone is sovereign. That he alone is worthy of glory and praise. Look back at what Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 30. He said, it's all about my majesty. It's all about my glory. Look at all that I have done. And God in grace says to Nebuchadnezzar, it's not about you, it's about me. And the only way you're ever going to see that is if I take everything away from you. Imagine being the king looking out over all that you possessed and having a voice from heaven saying, the kingdom is now gone from you and immediately his mind is changed and immediately he is driven from the kingdom and God was doing all of this listen carefully God was doing all of this for Nebuchadnezzar's repentance and salvation and God does the same for us today he disciplines us because he loves us and he wants what's good for us Listen, if you're a child of God this morning, if you profess faith in Christ, this is why he disciplines you as his child. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, 6. Why does God discipline you? Because he loves you and because he has received you as his own. And if you are God's, then God's going to do everything within his power to get you to act like God. Amen? And he's going to do it because he loves you and because that's what's best for you. Discipline never feels good. It's never enjoyable. But when done correctly and always when done by God, it is exactly what we need. For non-believers, God disciplines because God is ultimately bringing about their good in hopes that it will bring about their salvation just like he does with Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't wipe Nebuchadnezzar off the face of the earth. 
He gives Nebuchadnezzar a chance to come to genuine faith. And so, as we are trying our best to avoid pride in our lives, we must remember that God has blessed us with all things. We must heed the warnings that come from God concerning pride. We must receive the discipline of the Lord, understanding that it is for our good. And then fourthly and finally, we must praise God for His forgiveness and restoration. We must praise God for His forgiveness and His restoration. Why? Because we need it every day. If God wiped all of us off the face of the earth for pride, none of us would be here. Amen? We need His forgiveness and restoration, and He freely gives it to us. So in verse 34, we see as it all begins to come to its conclusion, at the end of the days, after seven years... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, none can say to his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that's the last word you'll hear from Nebuchadnezzar in scripture. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar receives the discipline of the Lord. And after seven years, God's discipline has run its course. And Nebuchadnezzar is at a place where he has a choice. He can choose to submit to the authority of God or he can choose to continue to reject God. And what does it say he does? He looks up into heaven. In his animal-like state, all he is able to do is look up into heaven acknowledging that God is God in his overall. And in that moment, God receives that simple act of submission and God restores his mind. And as his mind is restored, Nebuchadnezzar is able to exalt the God that has finally delivered him. And notice what Nebuchadnezzar says as you look through verses 34 through 36. Here's a synopsis of what Nebuchadnezzar says. God's dominion is forever. God's kingdom is eternal. Compared to him, man is nothing. Compared to God, the host of heavens are nothing. God is above all so that man cannot question him or complain about him. God is God, we are not. God is God, Nebuchadnezzar finally realizes that he is not. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar say? Nebuchadnezzar says, God, you alone are sovereign. You have dominion that lasts forever. You alone have kingdom and your kingdom is established forever and ever and ever. Man is nothing compared to you. Therefore, we can't complain about you because your ways are just and right. Everything you do is perfect. Scholars debate over whether this is a confession of faith or whether this is just an acknowledgement of what had taken place in the moment. Personally, I believe this is where Nebuchadnezzar comes to genuine faith in God. 
When I read this, it reads as someone who is declaring the truth about God and they're submitting to his authority. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Amen? Right? But what matters is that Nebuchadnezzar's last words help tell the story that he once told concerning his life. Verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 37, this sums up my life. This is what I've learned. I'm about to die and the kingdom that I possess, the kingdom that I thought was incredible is about to be gone. Even though God had given it back. Think of how miraculous that is, by the way. Seven years, the king's out in the field thinking he's a wild animal. But when he comes to his senses, his counselors haven't taken the throne. They've held the throne. They want him back. And they go out and they seek him and they restore the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar. That doesn't happen in history, right? Kings get killed for their throne. They don't get their throne held for them while they're in the field mad. And so God held everything for him so that when he learned the lesson, he could be restored and then some. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say? Nebuchadnezzar says, at the end of my life, when my kingdom is the greatest it's ever been, it's not about me. It's about the God that I serve. It's about the God who revealed himself to me. I am here only because of God's grace in allowing me to be here. And the reality is that's the lesson we need to learn from Nebuchadnezzar's life. That's what Daniel is trying to help us to see. God is sovereign over all things and the pride of man is nothing compared to the power of God. And if we are not careful, we will let the pride of man, we will let our pride separate us from God just like it did for Nebuchadnezzar for so long in his life. You see... It's our pride that tells us we don't need God. It's our pride that tells us we can do it on our own. And it is ultimately our pride that separates us from the love of God revealed through Jesus. It's my pride that says I don't need Jesus. I can be good enough on my own. It's my pride that says I don't, I don't need salvation. I don't need Christ. I can live a good enough life that God will get me to heaven. The reality is no, we cannot We're not good enough. We're filthy rags. We're sinners. We're wicked. We're evil. We are not good. And the reality is we won't even come close to achieving heaven. We won't even be able to reach out and and, and even just, just come close to it. We're so far away from it, it's not funny. And the only way that we can achieve, the only way that we can gain access is by God's grace. It is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why God sent his son to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we should have died. That's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins because our sins are many and our sins completely separate us from the love of Christ. But when Jesus is standing in between and when we have confessed him as our Lord and our Savior, when we've sought him in forgiveness, when we believe in who he is and what he has done, when we commit to following Jesus... It is God that takes away our sin because he's paid for them already through his son. And you see, that's humility. Coming to the place where we realize that we need God. We need God for salvation. We need God for life. We need God for everything. You can try to do better. You can try to be better. But you won't. 
The only thing that you can do is surrender yourself fully and completely unto God. Submit yourself fully unto Him and let His will be done in your heart and in your life. That's how you come to know Jesus in salvation. And that's how you live a life of following after God as a believer. It's not about what I can do. It's about what God will do through me if I will get out of His way and surrender. Will you pray with me? So what is God speaking to you this morning? Maybe you're here and you're being warned about your pride this morning. This is something that I need to be warned of on a regular basis. The reality is, personally, I struggle with pride. I feel like I'm right a lot of the times. And if I'm wrong, sometimes I don't see it. If you're like me, maybe like me, this passage is an ever-present warning against pride for you. Maybe you're struggling with pride for some other reason. Maybe life's gone great and your circumstances are incredible and at the moment you're depending upon you and not God. This passage serves as a warning. Maybe God is calling you to salvation this morning, helping you see that you can only get to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you're watching online and you're realizing maybe for the first time that you cannot be good enough. You can't work hard enough to get to heaven. It is only by God's grace through Jesus that you have a chance of being saved. Whatever and however the Lord is working, I want you to respond to what God is doing in your life. If you're struggling with pride, if God is pointing things out to you, then this is a moment for confession. This altar is open. You can come and pray. You can pray where you're at. You can come pray with me. But if God is speaking to you about your pride, about your arrogance, about your haughty spirit, this is the time to confess. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that in due season, He may lift you up. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're listening online. And God is speaking to you about your salvation. If that's the case, this altar is open. Come talk to me. I'd love to share with you more about how you can trust and follow God in your life. If you're watching online, reach out to us via messenger, text, call, whatever you can do. But as God speaks, let us respond. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that you're doing in our hearts, our lives, and in our midst now. Lord, lead us and guide us as we seek to follow you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.